And I remember the day that our daughters, the day we found out the girls were at school, it was a Friday, it was a long weekend. We brought them home and I um, told them, expecting to have to kind of nurture them through the news and not knowing what it was going to, how it was going to affect them. Yeah. And they literally said, so what is still our little brother? And um, what's for dinner? (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. How much older are the two girls? Eight and nine they were. Okay. Wow. Wise beyond their years. I'm Ren McDonald and this is The Hope Initiative, a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth where I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hope Initiative. My name is Rin MacDonald. Thanks so much for being here. As you can probably tell, my voice is a bit dodgy. Uh, lost my voice over the weekend, but nonetheless, in this interview, my voice wasn't lost, so it'll sound a lot better than it currently does. In this episode, I speak with Kristen Morrison. Kristen is a mother, an entrepreneur, an author, and a simply incredible woman, which you'll come to learn. From working 20 years in the fashion industry to starting her own foundation, helping with ill children, she has done some quite incredible things. In this conversation, we talk about a lot of that, but I feel like we only really scratched the surface and we could have talked honestly for hours. And we actually did end up talking for about another hour after I pressed stop. On, uh, on my recorder after this but yeah it was really really enjoyable and I hope you learn a lot from it thanks so much here's Kristen Kristen Morrison welcome to the Hope Initiative hi thank you thank you thanks for having me today here in your house uh, my pleasure yeah it's um it's been a f- few months since I sort of first reached out to you and I really appreciate you taking the time I know you've got a yeah. very hectic yeah. schedule which we'll get into yeah and your life has yeah a lot of things going on a lot of moving parts yes now I want to start for people who don't know you um if you could tell us or me and the listeners a bit about who you are but also after that maybe starting from your earliest memory give us a bit of a rundown of your life and I like to challenge people and say wow to try and do it in three minutes or less. Because we could all talk about a lot of things, but yeah, I I think when you challenge people with that, it, it gives them a real sort of focus. So if you want to take a few moments to okay. think of where to start, but I'll... All right. So my name's Kristen. I'm a mum. I've got three kids. Um, I've always had my own business, um, which was originally in the fashion industry, and then my son was born with Downs and I downed tools in the rag trade and uh, just embarked on a mission to help him be as healthy as possible, basically. But it was a complete change of attention and uh, focus, which has dominated my life for the past 13 years. <laughs> Not without its challenges along the way, but ultimately a really exciting um, new adventure. Right. Yeah. Cool. Very much under three minutes. I like it. 
Yeah, that wasn't the three-minute one. I'm thinking you need three minutes for the earliest memory. Okay, well, go ahead. Yeah, tell me, tell me, go from there, yeah. My please. earliest memory, what an interesting question. Um, actually, my earliest memory is of lying on a bed under an enormous muslin which had cheese in it. My mum was a bit of a hippie. Okay. So she made her own cheese. And I remember looking up and seeing this, looked like a punching bag, I suppose. And um, must have been swinging or something, but I, yeah, I was wondering what the hell is that thing? Wow, <laughs> making cheese. <laughs> and what year was that, do you think? How old? Well, 1968. Sure. 69, it's a long time ago now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And tell me a bit about your, your early life. Like, where were you, where'd you grow up? What was your sort of family life like? Uh, well, I was born in Sydney and we moved to Melbourne when I was two. And I went to school here in Melbourne. And then in the early 70s, my parents decided to move to the country. So we moved into a caravan uh, in the mountains, an hour out of Melbourne. Lived in a caravan for a year whilst my parents built a, a house. Wow. So we used to, my brother, and la, my brother and I used to have a shower in a bath which was in a bathroom made from hay bales <laughs> and there was wow. no ceiling and there was a 44-gallon drum and my parents would fill it up with hot and cold water and we'd stand in there, scoop the field mice out of the bath and stand underneath this 30-second deluge of warm water. Is that how long it would last? <laughs> That's what it felt like and yeah. then it was someone else's turn. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was great. I mean, in retrospect, probably very uncomfortable at the time but it was a lovely childhood. Yeah. Lots of open spaces and cubby houses. And we built rafts for the dam and mm. it was pretty idyllic. And then we moved back to the city when I went into high school. Okay. Is that why you moved for you and your brother yes, to go to high school? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And yeah. from there, like what was maybe teenage life like in your early, early adulthood? It was frustrating for me. I didn't like school very much. I wanted to get out into the workforce. Mm. And so when I finished school, I um, went overseas for a year, mm. came back and um, I was going to do photography actually, but I ended up getting into the rag trade right. and stayed there for 20 years. <laughs> right. What drew you to the, to the fashion industry, the rag trade as you call it? Well, I was dating someone who had <laughs> some skills in the fashion accessories area. Okay. And it really appealed to me. I'd always made my own clothes. Okay. Because I was always tall. Right. So we started off doing accessories and then um, I ended up doing clothing apparel. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And 20 years in that industry. Yes. That's a long time. Yes. I'm 27, so that's most (laughs) of my life. Yeah, well, that's how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. What's some of the, you know, maybe fondest memories or biggest challenges you have from that industry it was a very different time back then people didn't value technology the way they do now people valued having something unique and designer so Mm. when I started I was actually literally the first thing I started with was cotton doilies that I bought from Target and I cut them up and made tops out of them and I put them in a shop in Greville Street and I put them in shops in Brunswick Street and you know, Ackland Street, and just about every place, every major funky um, 
centre in Melbourne had a store which would take your young designer brands. And so I would go and, and stock them with my products and come back a week later and they'd cut me a cheque and then I'd wow. replace it. And this sort of built up and built up and built up to the point where it was, you know, it was quite a nice little business. Right, so purely independent. Totally. I, made, I literally made everything from my little apartment in Windsor. Wow. And I used to dye fabrics myself. And, but that's when people really were interested in something like that. It's much more fast fashion, meanwhile, spend your money on technology and, and other sorts of products. A totally different mm. world we live in now. Right. Yeah. But, but that was, very, it was a very exciting time because I could just go off and find inspiration and make something. And then within a couple of days, it'd be in a shop. Right. And then I'd walk down Chapel Street and someone would be wearing one of my garments and it was real buzz. I became quite addictive, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And how did that evolve over the 20 years? Because I'm assuming you weren't just making it the entire time in your Well, that started and then eventually I opened my own store and then I've sort of had other stores. I think at this peak we had three or four stores. Yeah. And then the whole retail fashion industry changed with the likes of cotton on coming in and selling crazy cheap poorly made fast fashion right around the time everyone started buying iphones right right around the time griffin was born okay so i was at a crossroads then and it was a case of okay we're either going to go offshore with this brand or we're going to go super up market either way there had to be a change of gear to compete with what was happening in the market yeah and um griffin's diagnosis just changed everything right actually for the good (laughs) no regrets yeah sure yeah obviously we'll come to talk about that but i just want to ask you a question on you know your time in in fashion what what age did you get into it like did you start producing look i really started when i was 14 okay i was i was making my own clothes people started to ask me if they could if i could make things for them yeah so that became and that's why i'm saying i was bored with school because I kind of developed a passion for making stuff and Mm. getting into commerce so um where do you think they came from that that creativity at that well my parents are both creative there was always art around me Mm. there were always painters and sculptors and jewelers and I feel like my and, and, and actors I feel like my whole life was just a beautiful menagerie of artists yeah and so i just thought that that's that was my destiny right yeah i felt like going to school i remember getting told off in (laughs) in year 10 biology because i was looking in a microscope at spirogyra tiny single cell organism right and i was (laughs) i was sketching it because i wanted to go home and make it into a fabric print (laughs) (laughs) my teacher was telling me off she's like you are in the wrong class that's great (laughs) and did you do that yeah 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 that's cool (laughs) so inspiration is everywhere hey exactly even in biology yeah yeah sweet Mm. okay so turning our attention to griffin Mm. you mentioned um he's 13 is that right or yeah just turned yep Right, so 13 years ago, he was born. Mm -hmm. At what point did you learn that he had Down syndrome? The moment he was born, I could see it. Okay. Sorry, excuse my ignorance. Is it possible to know prior to that? Yeah, if if I had not, if if I'd had 
testing, mm-hmm. I could have ruled it out. Okay. But a couple of things happened around that time. I was, I was spending a lot of time interstate with my stores and I actually missed the cutoff for an ultrasound. Right. Because I was interstate. And when I went to have my ultrasound, I had missed this little window where you can see if the baby has Downs or not. Right. And I went in for this ultrasound, I don't know, I was like 24 weeks or something, 25 weeks. And I was in at the children's hospital or the women's hospital with my kids, my daughters. And the woman was halfway through the ultrasound and she said, look, I just need to, um, I just need to rule something out here. And she's sort of, you know, looking pretty intently at the <laughs> screen and then she made some comment like, um, we just, it's just a bit too hard to rule out Down syndrome at this point. And I remember having to stop, go to the bathroom. I felt violently ill and go back and resume the ultrasound. And I really didn't think about that anymore because by the end of it, she said, no, that's fine. It's all, it all looks good to me. Right. And then it wasn't until after Griff was born that I remembered that. I thought, oh, God, I was like, that was, I'm actually grateful. I'm actually really grateful that I didn't get a diagnosis mm. because I know women, couples who are going through hell because they get the diagnosis and they start to freak out. And you, it goes one of two ways. You either freak out and then would make it the fear of the unknown mm. um, could overpower the experience or they're very embracing of it. Right. But I think I would, have been, I would have been the one to freak out actually. Right. So the moment he was born, I looked at him and it's a weird thing, but I'd never known, I literally had never known a person with Down syndrome. Okay. I'd sort of had a couple of young men in particular walk into my store yeah. over the years. But the minute I saw Griffin newborn, I could tell. Right. Okay. <coughs> and then, so then when you did see him and it sort of registered and maybe it didn't right in the moment... It, you know, on the day of his birth, but in the days and weeks that followed, did you freak out or did you, you know, sort of seize the initiative, so to speak, and go, um, you know, or like embrace ultimately what it was? Well, it took about 10 days for it to be confirmed. Okay. Because he was born at home. Right. So we weren't in the hospital system. He was literally born right where you're sitting, actually. Wow. Cool. <laughs> How did it happen? Because I know my youngest brother was born at home as well. Yeah. In a pool. Mum was yeah. in like a shallow water pool. Yeah, yeah. Were you just sitting here on the couch? Yeah, That's... no, no. I had a I had a mattress fed it all set up. Okay. Um, wow. So because we weren't in the, hol- the hospital system, we didn't have the usual process. Sure. So, yeah, it took about 10 days. And that 10 days was really challenging. It was almost better just to know than to wonder. Mm. And, of course because of the internet we have access to doing our own research and so my mum my mum Griff's dad and my midwife were pretty much the only people who knew at this point and mum and I both started researching and it was awful like literally it was the most overwhelming primal grieving experience you know, you've got this new gorgeous creature that you're desperately in love with and you find out that they've got a whole lot of things which are probably going to mean X, Y, Z outcome and trying to keep everything kind of normal because it may not be that that's what's going on, but it also might be. Sure. Mm. <laughs> it's a really, really difficult time. 
But then when we got the confirmation, the grief went into overdrive. It was a whole new layer of, my God, where do these tears come from? I don't know. I don't understand how I can possibly cry that much. Um, And uh, then it was kind of calm because it was just a case of, okay, we're going to get busy, you know. And I remember the day that our daughters, the day we found out the girls were at school, it was a Friday, it was a long weekend, we brought them home and I um, told them, expecting to have to kind of nurture them through the news and not knowing what it was going to, how it was going to affect them. Yeah. And they literally said, so what is still our little brother and um, what's for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. How much older are the two girls? Eight and nine they were at the okay. time. Wow. Wise beyond their years. Mm. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. What was for dinner that night? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. And no attention on food in those days. It of was course. just emotional survival. <laughs> mm. Yeah, sure. Mm. Okay, so then he's now 13. I mean, we could take this many ways. Yes. But, and as we'll come to talk, you've written two books. One, and I've got another one that I'm just putting together now with Griff, and there's another one on the way, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But the main book I, I released when Griff was three, yep. almost four. And I did that because, so, because I'd always done the natural therapies thing with our kids, I'd never had a drug. Um, I was very, very committed to keeping their bodies toxin-free. Yeah. So when I started to read all this stuff about children with Down syndrome have a weak immune system and they're malnourished and they have low muscle tone and I made this great long list of all the kinds of health issues that they can have, I felt that these things could be helped through nutrition and supplements and natural therapies. So I... I went to see my family doctor and asked him, thinking he'd have some clinic that he'd send me to. Yeah. And I said, look, you know, where do I go? And he said, look, I've got nothing for you. I can send you to a um, a family that I consult This Their older son has got Downs. So you can talk to them and see what it's like to be a parent of a child with Down syndrome. Beyond that, I have nothing for you. So he referred me to a paediatrician. It was the week before Christmas. I had no choice but to pretty much go with this guy. And I rang him up and I said, look, I'm really looking for a doctor who's going to support a natural therapies approach to helping this baby. Yeah. And he literally said, don't waste your money on omega-3s, buy a big TV, because your life's never going to be the same. And what he was saying was, all the money you're going to spend on natural therapies you're better off spending on <laughs> a television. Something to plonk them in it's front like, of. Exactly. Right. And really that was when I realised that I'm on my own. There's not. I had a supportive partner. I had a supportive family. But I had no supportive medical terminal who could actually um, advise right. the next step. So That's I um, came up with my own, basically. I did a whole lot of research, put together my own protocol. He was exceptional. He was hitting his milestones. He was ridiculously healthy. His hair, which started off being super sparse and slow growing, 
by the time he was three, he had a thick, you know, thick, beautiful blonde curls like his sister had had. Yeah. He was just brimming with good health. So I wrote a book because I wanted other parents to not have to go through what I went through. And through someone I knew online, I actually was in contact with a mom in Israel who just had a baby with Down. So this is wow. So Griff's Four. So I decided to write my book for her. So I wrote it in language that wasn't too technical or challenging for someone who's not an English speaker. Right. And yeah, so I published that book and I've sold it in 30 countries. Wow. And um, I get letters all the time from mums saying, dads, you know, saying we've done this and it's helped my son and now he's doing this and he wasn't doing that two months ago and they were excited because it's like a proactive approach really to children with any kind of situation yep. and even well children too it's just an education there's so much we don't know yeah yeah environmental factors that impact on outcomes in terms of health and development actually right you know even things like putting babies into prams and rockers and all these things that we use supposedly to occupy them or keep them off the floor what you're doing is you're denying them the opportunity to use some primal reflexes that they need to develop in order to work things like um coordination and reflexes wow i've never thought of that that's fascinating well we don't do we (laughs) so as bad as it might sound when i say it you almost use him as like a guinea pig but in a way that like you were helping him obviously but it's enabled hundreds if not thousands tens of thousands of people around the world to help their children as well yeah that's right which is obviously brilliant yeah it's great yeah exciting so the name of that book i excuse me it's called naturally better naturally better yeah yeah so that was written what circa 2009 2010 2010 okay yeah cool that's very cool so Mm. people should definitely check that out (laughs) not that that's why i came here today to just plug (laughs) your book and all your things but it is it is fascinating stuff now what was life like as he grew? Because you said like he hit his milestones. You mean yeah. as a child, yeah. right? So in terms of like walking, talking, yeah. these sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, he was, was a little slower on some things, but I sure. also learned that trying to encourage him to walk was not the right thing to do. The longer he crawled, the more he was um, working on a particular kind of brain function that he would miss out on if I encouraged him to stand up on his feet. Right. Yeah, so I found uh, an organisation in Philadelphia who have been helping parents since the 50s with methods to optimise outcomes for children with all sorts of... They, they describe them as brain injuries. So it's essentially special needs of a neurological nature. So it's not like lost limbs. It's people, children whose um, brains are not working the way they should right yeah okay what's that yeah. organization it's called the institute for the achievement of human potential wow bit of a mouthful sounds cool though <laughs> institute for the achievement of human potential yeah okay they're actually amazing just as one example so i had i was concerned about griff at one point he was he had started walking he was three i reckon yeah and his feet were splayed outwards and I was by that by this stage I was in regular contact with someone from the institutes and I explained this and they said get him doing somersaults. Yeah, right. 
and they said if you get him doing somersaults, I don't just mean once or twice, we're talking like maybe an hour a day of somersaults, that his feet would come in and um, they did. Wow. Yeah. How long did that take? How many days? knows this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, look, I couldn't tell you exactly, but we spent, I pretty much did nothing but therapy for him for the first four years of his life and then got some help and continued until he was six. And then he went to school. Yeah. But yeah, he was crawling around the house. He was doing monkey bars, you know, 30, 40, 50 passes of the monkey bars a day. Yeah. Um, Kilometres of crawling. (laughs) And then walking and running around the block. Right. So no rockers in this house? No no rockers. (laughs) No, the floor was beautifully clean at that point. (laughs) And he spent most of his time on on the floor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) And so then... What are some of the biggest challenges that he has faced and overcome as a child with Down syndrome? He's 13 now. He's an incredible yeah. kid from what I've seen. But, yeah. He is an incredible kid. And really, he hasn't faced too many challenges. He's had more challenges probably coming into his teens because mm. he... There's a bit of a, a divide between where he is academically and his peers at the school. That's, that's the only piece that I really would have liked to have been able to achieve a better outcome for him at right. this point is academically. Sure. So he's definitely on the back foot academically, but in every other way, really. You know, he makes some bad social choices sometimes, but honestly, who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> Especially going into, into your teens. Sure. So he has, he's been sick once, like really sick once. In his life? In his life. Wow. He's had, you know, colds, but nothing like, nothing like, you know, most other children. Yeah. But he's been on supplements just about all of his life. And he's had, although not so much since he was six, but up until the point where he was six, he was having naturopathic um, consults every week. Right. Osteo, massage, you know, he was, he was the best cared for um, kid around. So he really kind of had no excuse but to be healthy. Yeah, sure. But, yeah, challenges-wise, look really not a hell of a lot. Okay. Yeah. That's cool, yeah. I guess, if there's, yeah, yeah, not a hell of a lot. I guess yeah. it gives hope to people who maybe are, you know, Having a child with Down syndrome or, yeah. you know, know any, someone. Or any kind of neurological thing because this right. approach is really helpful for kids diagnosed on the autism spectrum or, you know, even kids who have seizures or all mm. sorts of things which are essentially a neurological problem. Right. Um, look, I'm not going to lie. He doesn't, he's not perfect in every area of function, but he's adequate to be able to be socially pretty well integrated yeah and i haven't given up on the academic piece i just honestly he got to six years old and i was just burnt out i'd been a self-employed person my entire life until he was born and then spent six years just doing therapy and crawling around the floor and so i just had to go and get back into the workforce in some way right for my own sanity sure if I'd kept going, I know a child in America whose mum, bless her heart, 
has done everything I've done and has continued with a home um, homeschooling program and his academic outcomes are extraordinary. Oh, wow. Was that after Griff? Like, was that Similar timing on? to Griff. He's a little bit younger than Griff. Okay. But I don't have any regrets because I think for Griffin going to school was the right thing socially. Mm. Totally. And just integration into the community. You know, he gets up. His latest thing is he gets up in the morning and goes for a bike ride for anywhere up to 45 minutes, sometimes before I've even gone to bed. Oh. I've gotten up, sorry. Yeah. And he's just... So he just gets up and goes on his yeah, own. Yeah, gets up, goes out. He'll bump into some people from school or, you know, someone from the local shops or whatever. And wow. It's just a beautiful thing, you know. That yeah. independence. I don't think you get that so much if you're homeschooled and, you know, I could be wrong, but I think it's, it's a different experience. Sure. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, yeah. but at the same time, you know, you say you, you could be wrong or you don't know how it would have gone. I think, like, how do we know what decisions, like That's sliding right. doors moments, like, you know, I'm sure yeah. you're happy with how how he yeah. is right now. Like, yeah. It certainly seems like that. Yeah. Things are going quite well. And I think we'll catch up with the academics Mm. going into the next few years. There's some changes in my life which will make it easier for me to get back on with helping him. Yeah. That's good. Mm. So when he was six then, you got back into the workforce? Yes. You go back to fashion? No. What did you you do? (laughs) Right. I felt like I wanted to make a difference in some way. And I had realised that for Griff... It had been such a huge benefit for him to be as uh, exposed to as little um, environmental toxins as possible. So organic food, totally natural cleaning products and just getting rid of anything that was, you know, potentially going to interfere with his body. Yeah. So... Um, for him, gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free diet was really important. I found a big difference in the way that he functioned. If yeah. we gluten, give or take, but ultimately he did better without gluten. Yeah. So, so I really just saw a need for. Initially, I started a business to help people get access to organic food in bulk, affordably, like a home delivery service, um, like co-op. Yep. So bulk nuts and seeds and produce, fresh produce. Yeah, and that's the organic provador? No, that started off, you know, there's been a couple of brands, I won't bore you with that, but basically it was a home delivery service and then, <coughs> and then people started to ask, when are you going to start making stuff? When are you going to start cooking for us? You know, when are you going to start making a soup and we need our meals made for us and we've got some <laughs> treats and oh God. So yeah, we just started making pretty much anything they asked for and over time it's taken eight years it's been eight years since I started it and now it's evolved into a home delivery prepared foods and small cafe offer well yeah that's cool so you just jumped into that yeah and that was back when you couldn't get quinoa and cacao nibs at Aldi Everyone knows what quinoa is now. No one knew what quinoa was <laughs> Right. So happily, the market's become more educated and so there's more and more demand for the prepared food right. more so than grocery. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. And what does that company look like now? 2019, so almost 10 years yes. later. Gosh. Well, it... Um... <laughs> 
that looks like a lot of work. Um, <laughs> look, it's it's a pretty interesting business. So we have a range that caters for people with just about every dietary issue. We have a growing number of clients through the NDIS because uh, people different different kinds of situations can get some government funding towards special diet foods. Yeah, what's the NDIS, sorry? So the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Okay. Um, and then we have a lot of people who are just genuinely passionate about health. We get a lot of referrals from doctors, naturopaths, nutritionists for their clients who have been just diagnosed with a low FODMAP, you know, like FODMAP intolerance or all sorts of different kind of dietary problems. So we have that market. We also have a lot of people who want to be fit. They want to, they've just started doing keto. They don't know how to feed themselves, so they buy a week worth of keto meals from us. Yeah. Yeah. And then we do a lot of cakes and treats because you've got to have – you got to have some fun just because you can't have gluten, dairy and sugar doesn't mean you can't have fun, you know? Right. Yeah. For sure. Mm. Life's worth living, eh? <laughs> exactly. you got to have some. But you know what the overriding thing was? I want a griffin to be able to walk into a cafe and order anything. Mm. Yeah. So that was, that was the game plan. Was Imagine if people like him could just go in and say, yeah, I have one of them, one of them, and next time come and have something completely different, but it's all completely fine for them and won't make them feel uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Nice. I think it seems like you're on the way to achieving that in terms yeah. of like how the world has probably shifted. I wouldn't exactly. say I was aware of it no. 10 years ago. And mm. you mentioned people didn't know things like yeah. quinoa was. <laughs> you know, I, I certainly right. certainly didn't then. <coughs> I didn't either, frankly. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the next sort of 10 years holds, mm. how the world changes. Mm. But okay, so... You probably can do that now with most cafes, which is cool. Yeah, most, most that's restaurants. Right. Yeah. Mm. I had a question there. Sorry, I've forgot. Oh, yeah. So you're essentially giving people the ability to eat at, you know, a standard that they can, you know, achieve whatever the, sort of their body needs yeah. with, this, with this company. Yeah. What's maybe one thing that you've observed or maybe yeah just noticed that people do wrong in terms of dietary requirements or feeding or putting into their body well it's not so much what people do wrong it's what we're told we should be eating okay. and although market is a lot more healthy like genuinely healthy options being marketed now but if you think about pizza or pasta or focaccia any of the sorts of fast food or even just things that you make at home. Really most tasty of them, things, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, right? But most of them consist of a wheat-based product, pasta or pizza base or bread, mm. and a dairy product, whether mm. it's cheese, milk. So if you put some bread and some milk into a blender and blitz it, you get glue basically mm. so this standard australian diet standard american diet whatever this western diet for most people consists of this glue and so we're lining our whole digestive tract with this glue this is my very simplistic explanation of what i think's wrong with right. so many people physically yeah we're eating so much of this stuff which has pretty much no nutritional value whatsoever so then when you put some good stuff in there you put some vegetables in there you put some you know good quality meat whatever your body can't absorb 
all the goodness as well because your body's clogged up with glue. Right. Again, crazy simple. I'm sure plenty of doctors would argue that that's all, you know, anatomically incorrect. But... Well, it's an interesting visual to get and it makes yeah, sense in a, in a way. That's yeah. right. So that's why if you take the gluten out and you take the dairy out and you take the sugar out, what have you got left? You've got good, wholesome, nutritious fruits and vegetables and animal protein and you know nuts, grains, nuts seeds, and grains yeah. and seeds and things which they're not only brimming with nutrition but they're also alkalizing mostly so you know wheat and dairy is acid right now there's something i read a few years ago saying that cancer can't live in an alkaline system right i've heard that yeah, yeah. So the more we alkalize our bodies, the healthier we're going to be, you know. Right. So I think it's just it's just ignorance, habit. Look, I used to, I remember when I had my store, my fashion store, I used to go across the road, the road to this bakery and get these rolls that were just ridiculous. And I would have these rolls, you know, three or four times a week. Right. Beautiful, fresh, you know, beautiful, fresh coriander and they're like it's gorgeous. Anyway. But in hindsight, I should have just been eating all that without the bread. Mm. Right. And I didn't know that. I thought I was being healthy. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. No worries. Sort of free advice in a way, <laughs> but it's, it's good to know. I mean, I've, I feel like I've cut out those sorts of things Yeah. recently in my life. I've noticed a difference. Yeah. Which is good. Good. Yeah. Okay, so we've covered a little bit, I feel, about... <laughs> your your life and griffin mm-hmm. how has your life turned out differently than you might have expected it when you were maybe younger or you know teens early 20s i would never have predicted this never in my wildest dreams but i don't think i would change it i'd probably i'd, I'd be happy to not have the kind of stress that's been around uh with all of the adjustments to what Griffin needed and what the girls needed and how to make life work whilst supporting a family and trying to make sure Griff gets everything he needs and then deciding to try and educate other people along the way and all of a sudden running a support network and a charity and (laughs) what I really could have done without a lot of those, a lot of the stress that comes with that. Sure. But... um, but no, I've got a great life. Yeah, exciting things happening. And yeah, um, Griffin is honestly, I just wish that I could have shown myself and Griff's dad and the rest of our family, wish we could all have seen Griffin now when he was first born because it, it would have just made everything so much more relaxed. You know? Right, would have eased it. Yeah. I wouldn't have wanted to take away the sense of urgency that we had to do everything we possibly could do to try and make sure that he had, that he, you know, achieved the best possible outcome. But it would have been nice just to see that it's going to be fine. Mm. <laughs> you know? For sure. Talk to me then about the Grow Foundation. You're a co-founder of that. Yes. What exactly is that? So Grow me? started because I released the book and then found that I was getting a lot of questions and 
parents asking for specific help about their children's specific situations, which I did my best to field for a long time. And then I got chatting to a friend of a friend who wanted to help in some way. She was excited about the opportunity to make a difference with this kind of approach. And so I basically, we created Grow Foundation to give parents the resources that I wanted when I went to see that GP when Griffin was a baby. I really had wanted a brochure. I craved a brochure with the sort of information that Grow Foundation now puts out there. So we have success stories from other parents who have done similar stuff to us and have had similar outcomes. And we provide grants to families for them to be able to do the sorts of things that we did because most of what we did was not well, none of it was funded beyond a small amount from private health, health cover. Right. There's certainly no government funding for it. Right, and it's not the cheapest thing? No, no. And in the scheme of things, fantastic investment. But if you're not expecting it and you haven't budgeted for two naturopathic consults every week, it's expensive. Right. <laughs> yeah, and plus one, one parent out of work just doing therapy at home all the time. Yeah. It's expensive. So, so yeah, it's really exciting because we can... We can help families like mine and we have a team of children. We have 100 children who run the Melbourne Marathon for us now. Wow. And they run and get family members and friends to sponsor them, kind of like a 40-hour famine kind of concept. So they can run distances of three kilometres up to 10. Yep. And it's a really beautiful, supportive community of kids who mostly don't have special needs. There are a few special needs kids in there as well. And, yeah, it's a really, really lovely program. Right. And is that Melbourne Marathon sort of one of the major fundraisers? Is that's, like, that's it. That's the major yeah, one. Yeah, we have some other little events we're working on. Yeah. And we're also working to create a community event for the special needs parents to connect as well because nice. it's a bit of a lonely road. It's a nice, nice to have some events to help them check in with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Hmm. Okay, and what is maybe obviously the growth foundation? When when did it start? Sorry, it started in twenty eleven, so about a year after I released the book. Wow! Yeah, and it was born out of the fact that a lot of people were asking you questions yes. for it. So I mean, you've mentioned a few times, and it might may be an obvious answer, but I feel like I have to ask. You obviously had this come out of nowhere, and there were no <laughs> answers for you at the time, <laughs> right? Like the the, I guess the work doesn't stop and it probably never stops. I mean, I know my parents jokingly say, you know, you'll always be my kid. You know, the work never yeah. stops. I'm 27, yeah, and I haven't had something like this. But for you, taking on starting a foundation, writing, you know, a book, multiple books, like these are things that take more of your time. And mm. I can understand they, you know, obviously helping people, but. Mm. Was that the only driver or like why why did you do all the things you do, I guess I'm asking, because it could be much easier for you to just take care of your own son. And It's a really good question. Thanks for asking. And I sometimes wonder why <laughs> I've decided to take on everybody else's problems as well. But you yeah. can't not you can't unknow what you know. And it felt irresponsible to have found something we were watching changes sometimes overnight and I, I just could not not share that with someone else who might be going through 
what for me was the most extraordinarily painful I mean some people don't respond the way that I did but I was absolutely devastated Mm. and I arrogantly thought that my third child would be the same as my other two who were just healthy and bright and effortless as a from a parenting point of view yeah and it just was incongruent to me that I would have a child that had a disability sounds a horrible thing to say but I just didn't I couldn't believe it Sure. So I just didn't want to not share that information, I suppose. Yeah. So I really didn't think beyond, God, let's just get it out there. I, I had no clue that was going to become almost a full-time job in itself. Yeah. <laughs> but as I said before, the payment for me is the emails and the Facebook messages that I get from people saying, oh, I'm in Israel and I've been doing this and this and this and my kids started doing that and that and that and... You know, can't thank you enough. I actually get love letters from parents. Wow. So, you That's know, fabulous. you can't buy that kind of sense of satisfaction. No. I think back to when I was 20 and I'd see someone walking down Chapel Street wearing one of my garments and feel pretty okay about myself. <laughs> and I now think, God, that was so superficial compared with actually doing something to really make a difference in someone's family's future in their child's life like that's much more much more important work for me so yeah it's lovely yeah it's crazy how world the world or life works like mm. you know came from nowhere absolutely but i'm i'm sure you enjoyed you know the the fashion industry at the time when you were doing it right yeah. but like you just mentioned mm. what you have now and the letters you get yeah mean so much more yeah what's maybe one of the f- furthest reaching farthest reaching places on the planet that you've had some communication from someone like where you've just gone how like that's like have there been any places like that turkey yeah russia wow yeah so is your book translated into any other languages no but i have been asked i really (laughs) should yeah wow yeah that's cool Mm. thank you for that answer no worries (laughs) That's really cool. Okay, so in 10 years' time, if you could have anything be a fact in your life, in the life, in, in the world, doesn't necessarily have to relate directly to you, but it, this thing is true in the world, what would that one thing be and why? Only one? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure let's hope there's many things. Oh, <laughs> but right now, let's... In the context of what we've just been discussing, I would love it if it was a recognised fact that a diagnosis doesn't necessarily mean a sort of fatalistic resignation of your own future. You know, I, I love the idea that people can be given a diagnosis and then feel that they have the power to create their own outcomes. And that, that that's probably sounds awfully glib and unrealistic because sometimes diagnosis is a dead end and that's just the way it is. But I, I would love to think that people could be more empowered to, to make a difference for themselves, you know? Because sometimes life hands you situations that, could be a dead end and 
I don't know, maybe I'm stubborn. That's probably all it is, but maybe I'm just arrogant. But I just prefer to think that I can make a difference. And, um, and if any of my kids ever had a situation where they were given some piece of information which they didn't necessarily agree with, I would always encourage them to look at, okay, well, what can you do about it? How can you actually be at cause over that instead of letting it determine your future? Right. You know? So that's not really answering your question. I suppose certainly in the Down syndrome community, I would like to have in 10 years' time, I would love it if it was recognised that children with Down syndrome have potential beyond the wildest dreams if parents just know how to intervene rather than it still being stuck in the dark ages when people thought it was the end of the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I think that'll, based on what I know and what I've seen, I think that's, I think that will, will be the case. Hmm. Griffin was recently in a movie, Ride Like a Girl. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about that. How did that come about? Oh, my God. This was like the greatest gift anyone could ever give us. So a friend of mine tagged me in a Facebook post in January of 2018. And um, it was a casting call for a 12-year-old boy with Downs. And Griffin had just turned 12. No, 11, whatever. Yeah, it just turned 11. It was a a casting call for an 11-year-old child with Downs. Griffin had just turned 11. And I read it and thought, oh, this is meant to be. This is. <laughs> and um, so he got the role and all of a sudden was in a makeup trailer with Sam Neill. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just sitting there thinking, yep, this is just more of Griffin's grand plan. This has turned up with this whole agenda and I'm just going along for this amazing ride. You're just here to help facilitate him through. Yeah. That's brilliant. You should let me tell you a very funny story about that, actually. Go ahead. So, <coughs> so Griff was on set with the junior cast for about a week yeah. before Sam Neill turned up. So we'd all, the other families had all gotten to know each other pretty well and the kids got along well and it was a big family in the story. So, so it was a really lovely friendly atmosphere on the set and then Sam Neill turned up and everyone's like oh shit Sam's Sam's here and have you seen Sam everyone was a bit sort of scared and starstruck and Sam was busy getting into character so he wasn't talking to anyone he was kicking to himself and very kind of aloof and so we were in the makeup trailer and Sam was down one end and Griffin was down the other and there were a couple of junior cast in the middle everyone was completely silent having their hair done and Griffin reached out and grabbed this little strange-shaped pink hairbrush. And he said, this brush looks like a scrotum. <laughs> and Sam Neill pissed himself up. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the icebreaker that had to happen, I reckon. That is gold. Know, oh, right? my God. He just grabbed it. What did the other kids do <laughs> who sat in the middle? They probably would have oh, shut themselves. Laughed. Oh, they did? Laughed. It was just... It was just a classic Griffin moment. It's just what he's like. He comes out with these one-liners and oh, God. cracks everyone up. So That's beautiful. Yeah, he was the one who was not phased by the stardom. In fact, it wasn't until after we finished filming. Uh, we were sort of involved with the filming process for a couple of months 
Yeah. And I rented Jurassic Park. Oh, the... We were sitting here on the couch watching Jurassic Park on TV. He's right. like, oh, that's Sam. What's Sam doing in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, cool. That's good. So he didn't really know who he was. He's just like, this no, is just another no guy. No, he no idea. Because Sam Neill plays his father in the movie. He's his dad, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it cool. was an amazing experience. The whole, not only the filming, but then when the movie came out, uh, Griff and I went to Sydney and Brisbane and did some screenings to raise funds for Grow Foundation. And, and you know, for any 12-year-old boy to have to stand up in front of a cinema full of people they don't know and make an impromptu speech, honestly, that's amazing um, confidence. And he um, just thrived through that experience. Yeah. And it's apart from anything else, it's a fantastic story about a man, I mean, a family, a brother and sister, but Stevie Payne is so inspiring himself. Yeah. That to play a man who's a professional strapper, a now professional actor, <laughs> is an incredible honour. So, yeah. That's cool. How's their relationship? Did they get to... They got along really well. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't spend a lot of time together, but they spent enough to... Griffin was um, very impressed by him. Yeah. Right. Mm. It's good. That's cool. Yeah. And what are some more opportunities that maybe have come of that? <coughs> or Oh, look, he's got an agent now. <laughs> but it's kind of what will be will be. Sure. You know? But he... When he was sick... Sorry, when he was six... He, we'd been doing this home program, this therapy program, which consisted of a lot of home education materials. I used to make him books and reading materials, and he was fascinated by facts. So he wanted to know everything there was to know about sharks or trains or, you know, fast cars, whatever. Yeah. And so when he was six, he started to say he wanted to make his own documentary. Right. And he called it Griffin's World of Food. And he started writing lists, which I find every time I clean the house, I find another list of countries he wants to visit to interview farmers. Wow. About, you know, how, how they're growing our food. Wow. So the movie gave him the confidence and also gave him an understanding of the filmmaking process. So he's in grade six now and we decided to make his first little episode of Griffin's World of Food yeah. for his grade six project. And... Um, yeah, so that's up on YouTube now. That's gorgeous. But again, he developed some confidence in presenting and mm. all that came from the film, I'm sure. Yeah, for mm. sure. I mean, I'm absolutely no expert. <laughs> I've been doing this for 10, 11 months, but I think it's just starting. Like, you know, he's probably got no inhibitions. Like, you just go, go for it. No. <laughs> Which is good. Like, it's absolutely what you need don't need you know if if you know what i mean but that's cool and i think you know what you sort of mentioned when i asked you that question with regards to the 10 years like i just feel like Mm. the way this is going yeah sort of the i don't know the right word but yeah the projection so to speak I can't imagine where it'll be in 10 years it'll be he loves bear grills he loves david attenborough he hasn't seen much, but I'm sure he would love Steve Irwin. I can just imagine him doing something like that. Yeah. You know, have his own TV show or something. He's hair similar to Steve Irwin's actually yeah, now that I've mentioned. Kind of Steve Irwin, actually. 
yeah, his character, all right. It's cool. Mm. So I'll definitely um put those videos yeah. and and things in the podcast show notes. But that's yeah, cool because yeah. I yeah. I watched that one on, on the egg farm. It's very cool. Yeah, it's cute, isn't it? Yeah. And the thing that excites me is, I have spent so much time banging on about all the stuff that helped Griffin and the reasons why I think other parents should be doing similar. And now he's just turned 13. He can legally have his own YouTube channel. So now he's going to show the world what he's capable of himself. Yeah. It's almost like my job's done. It's like a bar mitzvah. Do you know what a bar mitzvah is? I have a bit of an Amazing. Amazing. It's the moment when it's no longer the parents who are applauded for raising the child. It's the child who's applauded for making good choices and right. becoming a good adult. And these are, this is, I think it's a beautiful thing. And I really felt when he turned 13 just a few weeks ago, I thought, this is, this is like a bar mitzvah, you know? Yeah. I feel like my job's done now. I didn't know that's what a bar mitzvah was. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, isn't it great? I just thought it was what, is it Like Jewish? a celebration that, of 13. Yeah, yeah. They just celebrate. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's brilliant. I know. There you go. There you go. Didn't expect to learn something like that no. <laughs> in this conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. So one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast mm. was the fact that I listen to a lot of podcasts and yeah. most podcasts are with you know famous people who have done all sorts of high profile things in the world. And one of the questions that gets asked in, in this particular one that I listened to was what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Yeah. And the answers are always along the lines of I wouldn't give him any advice. I'd, you know, just let, you know, that person take the route that, you know, they've gone. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Mm. And I felt it was slightly impractical because the person is, you know, an A-list celebrity or they've come up with, you know, the latest car or iPhone or, you know what I mean, piece of mm. technology. Mm. And so I wanted to ask maybe everyday people, mm. you know, I, I thought, what would my dad answer to that question? He might be a bit different, you know, maybe yeah. he just regretted something or, you know, he actually just told me I was a mistake many times, my father. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> just drop that in there. No but way. No, no. <laughs> a good mistake in, in yes. you know, retrospectively but i wanted to ask you what mm. advice would you give to your 20 year old self um <laughs> <laughs> uh, i would give her a really good talking to <laughs> <laughs> on a number of topics but yeah i think <laughs> <laughs> i think mostly I would say just trust your gut. Don't second guess yourself because I usually know what's right and it's only the times when I second guess myself that things go pear-shaped. Hmm. You know, so I think the older you get, the more you realise that there are a lot of distractions in the world and if you just check in with yourself and what feels good to you, you'll make the right decision. But when you're young and distracted by all the pretty things and yeah it's easy to go off on a tangent that perhaps isn't the right direction right yeah interesting you say when you're young there's so many distractions because i feel like nowadays especially there's far more distractions than say 
20, 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. With all due respect. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could just not get out of bed and be completely entertained by watching everybody else's life pass you by. Couldn't right. you, really? Right. Yeah. And it's interesting, I guess, because both your daughters are early 20s, right? They might, yeah. I don't think they're 20, but... Okay. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting to watch them. I, f- I find that they are less connected with social media which is a really lovely thing to watch they're less connected than i thought they would be Mm. and i mean that's just one of the many distractions but i think um you know we're navigating some pretty extraordinary territory now with this and i am very very hesitant to give griffin his own control of his own social media he has instagram but that's honestly you know like it half an hour a week <laughs> won't be going any more than that yeah. anytime soon yeah yeah i think we have to use your generation more so than mine perhaps i don't know there's a lot more self-control that you have to try and use now than when i was growing up right you know yeah yeah well it's definitely a, a smaller faster place mm. yeah which is great in some regards i mean i really have led a very insular life the last 13 years with Griff because it's it's sort of stopped me from it's kind of stopped a lot of things that I would have probably done otherwise especially sure. socially and so social media has given me a fantastic network of amazing people that I would never I would never have had an amazing girlfriend in New York who I speak to frequently and who I now regard as one of my absolute closest friends mm. if it weren't for the internet Right. And and also people wouldn't be accessing information that can help them with their kids if it wasn't for the internet. So it's more good than bad. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I certainly wasn't sort of saying it's no. worse no, because no. like you say, people wouldn't have found yeah. your book or maybe as many people wouldn't yeah. have found books. I know books travelled around the world back yeah. 30 years ago, but yeah. Cool. Hmm. Thank you for that. No worries. Now before we go, I've yes. got one final question, but I'd like to ask... Where can people find you if they do want to get in touch? Or I know we've mentioned a few names of the books, but yes, would you like to do any of that? Or I can just put it all in like let's the, just put it on the yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, cool, yeah. All right. Well, the final question then yes. is just simply: Is there anything you'd like to add before <laughs> I? Oh, look. Do you know what? I think it's fantastic what you're doing because people need to hear good news. I found a um, oh, I can't even think what it's called now, but I found a good news. Instagram page last week which was so refreshing because there's so much negative crap out there and you know environmentally yeah we're in trouble blah 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 but if you don't have some way to pull yourself out of feeling like it's all over um, it's harder for us to bail our way out of a difficult situation so the more things like what you're doing the better really we need some little pearls in there to give us some some brightness in the future you know mm. yeah I agree well thank yeah. you no worries I yeah really appreciate this adding this pearl so to speak <laughs> to the to the collection but yeah, yeah. thanks for having me pleasure there such a go. pleasure thanks Ruth. cheers so there you have it episode 39 of the Hope Initiative thank you so much for listening and thanks again to Kristen for allowing me into her home and sharing so much about her things we discussed after i really appreciate it if 
you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend, whether it's via a screenshot or sending the link directly, sharing it on social media, however you'd like to get the word out. I do appreciate it. And I just want to make a note. I've really appreciated the support. Seems like things are getting out there more and more. The increases of messages I've gotten have been reflected in the downloads, which certainly isn't why I started this podcast. But, you know, it's good to know that people are listening and enjoying it. So, yeah, please continue. That support, it means a lot. And, uh, yeah, until next time, all the very best.